We're going to be in Psalm 98 this morning. And as we go through our Advent series, it's called um, Songs We Sing, Joy to the World. What we are doing is taking apart joy to the world and looking at songs that we sing, Christmas songs that we sing. Oftentimes we sing them sentimentally, right? I mean, as the kids came up and, and did their little thing, that's more so sentimental, is it not? I mean, those kind of activities tend to be sentimental and much of our culture sings Christmas songs sentimentally. You go into malls, you go, no matter where you go, these songs are being sung by our culture, by our world, but oftentimes they're sung from sentiment rather than from a deep theological significance. And so this Christmas season, what we want to do is we want to look into the song, Joy to the World, and see if there's some deeper significance to it than just the sentimental singing that our culture often sings it with. And so today we're going to look at verse 2. Verse 2 is, Joy to the earth, the Savior reigns. Let men's employ, their songs employ. While fields and floods, rocks, hills, and plains, repeat the sounding joy, repeat the sounding joy, repeat, repeat the sounding joy. And now you know why I don't lead us in song. Thank you, Ben. <laughs> um, but what do, what do those words mean? Have many of us really considered that? What does it mean that while, while fields and floods, rock, hills, and plains, repeat the sounding joy? What resounding joy does earth repeat? Or was Isaac Watts, the writer of this hymn, just crazy? I don't think he was. And I think as we look at Psalm 98, we're going to understand what Isaac Watts was getting at. Isaac Watts the, wrote this song 300 years ago. And he was looking at Psalm 98 when he wrote Joy to the World. And so today what I want us to do, to do is look at Psalm 98 and try and figure out what was Isaac Watts getting at when he wrote these words. So if you could stand with me, it's on page 500 in the Pew Bible. If you don't have a Bible, please take that Pew Bible home with you. That's our gift to you. And if you have a phone, you can find it wherever it is on your phone. But it's on page um, 500 in the Pew Bible, Psalm 98. Follow along as I read God's word for us this morning. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation for him. The Lord has made known his salvation. He has revealed his righteousness in the sight of the nations. He has remembered his steadfast love and faithfulness to the house of Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Break forth into joyous song and sing praises. Sing praises to the Lord with the lyre, with the lyre and the sound of melody, with trumpets and the sound of the horn. Make a joyful noise before the King, the Lord. Let the sea roar and all that fills it, the world and all those who dwell in it. Let the rivers clap their hands. Let the, let the hills sing for joy together before the Lord, for he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world with righteousness and the peoples with equity. Lord, we pray that you would speak to us this morning through this word, your word, your holy word. Lord, these aren't just old words written in a book and stuffed on a shelf, but this is the living Word of God, which is useful for rebuke, correction, reproof. Your Word says that it is like a double-edged sword dividing bone and marrow, revealing the hearts and the intents of mankind. And so, Lord, I pray that you would reveal to us through this Word our deep need for you. 
and also reveal to us through this word your deep love and provision for us. We have a need. You have met that need by sending your son, Jesus Christ. And so we receive you this morning. We receive your word with glad and open hearts and ears. We pray that you would speak in Jesus' name. Amen. You may have a seat. All right, so this is the psalm that Isaac Watts was looking at when he wrote Joy to the World. And it's broken up into three stanzas. Verses 1 through 3 shows us why we sing. Verses 4 through 6 show us how we sing. And verses 7 through 9 show us what, what we ought to be singing. If we're going to move from sentimental to significance in Christmas time, I think we have to ask critical questions. We don't accidentally become people who understand significance. You start to understand significance when you ask questions, when you dig, when you, when you look into something, when you say what, why, how, when, where, who. When we start asking those type of questions, we begin to understand the meaning behind what we do. And so with Joy to the World, with any Christmas song, and specifically here in Psalm 98, I think this is, this is just the creative hand of God and then Isaac Watts, the hymn writer, putting this together, figuring out why do we sing? The psalm answers that for us. How do we sing? This psalm gives us some insight into that. And then who is to sing? Verses 7 through 9, who is to sing? The psalm gives us insights in there as well. So the first thing that we're going to look at here is why we sing. Point number one, verses one through three, why do we sing? The big picture is we sing because of who God is. We sing because of who God is and we sing because of what he has done, what he is doing, and what he will do. If we are a people who are going to sing, we have to understand who God is, what God has done, what God is doing, and what God will do. Look at the first three verses here. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done marvelous things. There's a thing that he has done. He has done marvelous things. Here in this context, Psalm 98, it's likely David, the writer of this psalm. And he is the king of Israel, and Israel has a long history of following God and God doing marvelous things for them. You'll remember, Israel was under slavery in Egypt, and God led them out by his miraculous hand, by miraculous healings, and, and miraculous displays of his glory. And, and, and the Egyptians chased them up to the Red Sea, and they were trapped, and God parted the Red Sea, and they broke through on the Red Sea. And so Israel here is singing because of what God has done, his, the marvelous things he has done. Each of us, as we consider why we sing, why we gather, why we sing, ask yourself the question, what has God done in your life? I mean, surely if you look back over the course of your life, you will be able to find some marvelous things that God has done, some ways that he's provided, some ways that he has delivered, some ways that he has, that he has broken through the metaphorical red seas in your life and he has allowed you to pass through on dry ground. We sing because God has done marvelous things. Israel would look back and say, here's how God provided. Here's what God did. Here's how God showed himself faithful. And then moving on, the psalmist writes, his right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation. So it's not just what he has done, but it's also who he is. He is holy. God is holy other. He is set apart. He is different than us. So David here, the psalmist, writes that his right hand and his holy arm he is powerful. He is unlike anything we have ever encountered, and he is able to work salvation for us. 
Verse 2, the Lord has made known his salvation. He has revealed his righteousness in the sight of the nations. He has remembered his steadfast love and faithfulness to the house of Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. Israel, in this context, here in this psalm, they would look back and they would sing because of who God is. He is holy. He is mighty. He is powerful. He is just. He is able to save. They would look back and they would sing because of how God had proven that over the years. They would also sing because they were able to see presently, currently, here and now, what is God doing? In this context here in Psalm 98, they are in, the, the kingdom is under peace. King David is ruling and, and the nation of Israel is experiencing a season of peace and abundance. So they're able to look back and see how God provided them in the past and they're able to look around their current circumstances and see how God was providing for them here and now. They're able to see God's provision in the current state. And then they're able to look forward. This is actually a prophetic psalm. So while all the psalms show us this pattern of praising God for who he is, what he's done, what he's doing, and what he will do, this is specifically a prophetic psalm. David, the writer, is looking ahead to the coming Messiah, the one who's promised, the one who we celebrate his coming, his birth at Christmas. David is looking ahead and he's saying that God is able to do mighty things and he has done mighty things and he is doing mighty things. But most importantly, verse 2 and 3, the Lord has made known his salvation. He has revealed his righteousness in the sight of the nations. Jesus is the righteous one. Jesus is the one who comes in the future here for Israel and makes known to the world what God is like. The scriptures tell us that he is the image of the invisible God. And so David is prophesying into the future, saying God will send the promised Messiah, Jesus. And through him, he will make known his salvation. He will reveal his righteousness, Jesus, the righteous, to the nations, to the house of Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen this salvation of our God. And so David is praising and encouraging us to praise because of who God is, what he's done, what he's doing, and what he will do. It's the Old Testament pattern, but we know living in the New Testament, we can sing a new song in a new era. So we follow the same pattern, just like David shows us here in the Psalms. We praise God for who he is, for what he has done, what he is doing, and what he will do, but we do this with a different type of um, emphasis, with a, diff with a different type of knowledge than even David, the psalm writer, had. For the Messiah has come. David writes this prophesying ahead to Jesus Christ, but when we sing, we know who Jesus is. Jesus is the image of the invisible God. So while David tells us how to sing in hopes for the coming Messiah, we sing knowing the coming Messiah. We have a personal relationship with God the Father, the Lord of heaven and earth, through his Son, Jesus Christ. We're able to, as verse 1 says, sing to the Lord a new song, because we've been given a new salvation through the Savior, Jesus Christ. God has revealed himself to us here and now in a way that David, the great king, never got to experience. We should actually be able to sing with more joy, with more enthusiasm, with more assurance of our salvation than David, the great king, because Jesus has been revealed to us. 
Let's read one through three again, and then I want you to keep in mind the words and the flow of this, and then we're going to look at the new song in Luke chapter one that Mary sings. So I'm going to read Psalm 98, one through three again. Listen to the words, listen to the flow. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation for him. The Lord has made known his salvation. He has revealed his righteousness in the sight of the nations. He has remembered his steadfast love and faithfulness to the house of Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. Now flip over to Luke chapter 1 with me, and we're going to look at verses 46 through 55. That is on page 856 in the Pew Bible. Luke chapter 1, verses 46 through 55. Now, this is Mary's song after she receives the news that she is impregnated by the Holy Spirit with the promised Messiah. Imagine what's going on in her mind. This is crazy. This is risky. I don't understand all this. But I think she probably knew David's song from Psalm 98. She was a Jew. She knew the Old Testament. She probably knew this prophecy about the coming Christ, and now look at how Jesus fulfills the prophecy of Psalm 98 and gives us a new song, a better song, a fulfilled song to sing. Mary in verse 46. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm, and he has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever." So Mary picks up on the themes that David was singing and writing here in Psalm 98. And she shows us that Jesus came to fulfill that prophecy. We sing now, 2,000 years later, about 3,500 years after, Christ, after the prophecy of, of uh, Psalm 98 and 2,000 years after the coming of Christ, we sing with a new power, with a new emphasis. We can sing a new song in a new era because this psalm, Psalm 98, has been fulfilled. The Messiah has come. As, as David says that he will make his salvation known, he will reveal his righteousness in the sight of the nations. That has happened. There's people around the world who worship Jesus, who can sing the new song because God has made his righteousness known to the world. Jesus is a beacon of God's righteousness. God has purpose from eternity to pursue us and to make himself known to us through his son, Jesus Christ. And so why do we sing? We sing because God has sent his son, Jesus. We sing a new song because we have a living, active relationship with the creator of the heavens and the earth through his son, Jesus. Jesus has made God the Father approachable, to us. We can come into his presence, sit at his feet, be embraced and enveloped by him because Jesus has come. The Messiah has come. Next one, how do we sing? 
So if that's why we sing, we sing because of who God is, what God has done, what God is doing, and what God will do. And with that, we need to remember that Jesus will come again. And so we sing in anticipation for his return. We sing because he has opened a way of salvation for us. And we also sing because he's returning. He's coming again to bring us home. Revelation 21 is one of the most beautiful pictures of what eternity will be like for those who are in Christ. There will be no more tear or suffering or pain anymore for the former things have passed away. Behold, I am making all things new is what God says. So we sing in anticipation of that. That's why we sing. How do we sing? The second stanza here, verses 4 through 6, gives us some insights into how we sing. And this is, this is key for churches, isn't it? Because churches often divide and split over the how. We spend little time talking about the why, and we spend a lot of time talking about the how, and then churches split over if you've heard of it. If any of you have spent any amount of time around the evangelical church, you've heard of worship wars, likely. And people have difference of opinion of how you sing music, and different, they come to a different conclusion on the how. After, after spending hardly any time on the why. Why do we sing? Because God is worth singing to. He has sent his son, Jesus Christ, on our behalf. We've been given new life. We can utter a new song with a new joy. How do we sing? Let's read verses 4 through 6. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Break forth into joyous song and sing praises. Sing praises to the Lord with the lyre, with the lyre and the sound of melody. With trumpets and the sound of the horn, make a joyful noise before the king, the Lord. How do we sing? With the lyre. I guess we've been unfaithful for all these years. <laughs> I'm kidding. The lyre was an instrument. We will get to that in just a minute. But I think there's three specific things that we pick up in this stanza for how we sing. The first one is with joy. We ought to sing with joy. When, when we come into the presence of the Lord, when we gather with our family to remember who God is, what he's done, what he's doing, what he's promised to do, that should stir in us an affection for God the Father. That should give us a joy. We should be exuberant with praise and worship because God has redeemed us. He has sent his son Jesus. We have new life. We have a new hope. We have a new future to look forward to where there's no pain, no tears, no suffering. How do we sing? With joy. Look at David. He didn't even know Jesus. He was waiting for Jesus. We know Jesus. We've received Jesus. And so David, without even having an encounter with the Messiah, he says, make a joyful noise to the Lord. Remember who he is. Remember what he has done. And make a joyful noise. Birth forced into singing, into declaration of who God is, what he's done, what he's doing, and what he will do. Now, this doesn't mean that there's not a time and a place for reflection and for repentance and for lament. There's also songs of lament and repentance and reflection in the Psalms. As Pastor Ben often says, we need a, we need a balanced diet. That's why we sing some reflection songs. That's why we sing some congregational loud songs. That's why we, why we have a variety of different songs that we sing that are meant to help us reflect and consider and praise and worship and, and express our joy. So we need a well-balanced diet. There's many different ways and styles and songs that we can sing, but the standard mode of operation in the Psalms is joyful singing. It's lifting up your voice in joy, in remembrance of who God is, what God has done, what God is doing, and what he has promised to do in the future. We sing with joy. The next one, we sing with volume. Loud and clear, right? 
This is another area that churches fight over about the, the volume of the music. And look at what David says here. He says, make a joyful, what is it? Noise. In order for it to be a noise, do you have to be able to hear it? Yeah, thank you. Whoever did that, that's awesome. Um, again, the standard mode of operation for singing in Scripture is to lift up your voice loud and clear. You remember those Verizon commercials? Can you hear me? Can you hear me now? Can you hear me now? Can you hear me now? There's something to be said about being able to hear voices, being able to hear clearly, being able to hear the sound come through. If it's muddled, if you can't hear it, if it's, if it's distracted, how are you able to understand what's being proclaimed? And so I think David is saying we need to sing joyfully and we need to, we need to make noise, a joyful noise unto the Lord. Let's get the volume up. Let's raise our voices like we actually believe what we're singing. Amen? Amen. Amen. And again, a balanced diet. Sometimes we sit and we reflect and we're quiet and our souls consider what's happening. And, and we all do this differently. I mean, we have a lot of Scandinavians in our church, and they aren't really known for standing up and lifting up their voices and being very exuberant. Am I right? But we also have other cultures in our church that are known for being exuberant and being loud and being expressive. Amen. Let's do it together. Scandinavians, learn how to be loud and joyful and exuberant and expressive. Other cultures, learn how to sit and reflect for a minute or two and then get back to your exuberance because we love it and we need it. How do we sing with joy, with volume? And then the third thing in this stanza is with instruments. Verse 5, sing praises to the Lord with the lyre. That was a stringed instrument. I've never actually seen one in person. With the lyre and the sound of melody, with trumpets and the sound of the horn, make a joyful noise before the king, the Lord. The type of instruments that we use isn't important. As you go through um, culture changes and the type of instruments that the culture uses to sing songs, not, not even biblical songs, not Christian songs, not songs about Christ, just songs in general, songs in the culture, the instrumentation changes, does it not? The culture here in Bible times was the lyre and the harp, the trumpet and the horn. We hear trumpets and horns nowadays in our culture, but have any of you ever heard a lyre? That's an honest question. I would love to see if anyone's ever heard a lyre. Put your hand up nice and high. Maybe a person. <laughs> um, a lyre or a harp. Anyone ever heard a harp? Awesome. Beautiful noise. But it's not a noise you hear often in our culture. And so instruments change and arrangements, arrangement, arrangements change. The way that we proclaim the glory of God through song changes over the ages. And every subculture has a different way of expressing. Joy to the World, the song that we're looking at this month, I've heard it done in many different subcultures by an awesome band named August Burns Red, a hardcore band. They bring this gospel song to a subculture. Um, rap, I've heard Joy to the World done in a rap. Amazing, beautiful picture of the gospel being brought to a subculture. And so here we see, we see David encouraging us, use instruments, praise the Lord with instruments. That's also beautiful praise. An amazing guitar solo can be praise to God the Father. Psalm 150 says, praise the Lord with the clanging of cymbals. Jake, way to rock those cymbals. That's praise unto the Lord. It's biblical. Drums aren't from the devil. Drums are from the Lord. <laughs> Psalm 150, praise the Lord with the clanging of the cymbal. 
And so I think the point that I want to make with this is that we, we can't get stuck into the how, in the minutia of the how, that we have to sing this type of arrangement, this type of music, with this type of instrument, and this type of attitude. What we see here biblically is that we're to make a joyful noise to the Lord, raise our voices with joy, make it loud, use instruments, all types of instruments, because the Lord is good and worthy of our praise. John Wesley, a pastor, said this, Sing heartily and with good courage. Beware of singing as if you were half dead or half asleep. But lift up your voice with strength. Amen. Charles Spurgeon, another pastor, said, Let the reigning power of Jesus be felt in the soul, and we shall cast aside our chill mutter or subdued murmur. Guilty. Anyone ever guilty of singing as a chilled mutter or a subdued murmur? He says, For there is no fear of being too hearty in magnifying the God of our salvation. Loud let our hearts ring out the honors of our coming King. Amen. If we truly are looking at who God is, holy and righteous and just and pure, and the pursuer of our souls, what he has done, what he is doing, and what he will do, this should be true of us that that there, there's no fear of being too hearty in magnifying the God of our salvation. Our hearts should ring loud with honors of our coming King because who he is and what he's done is true and can be trusted. And our hearts need to sing. And so we sing with joy, we sing loudly, and we sing with all types of instruments. Just a side note, in Joy to the World, it says, repeat the sounding joy. There's a common um, thing that I hear often that praise choruses that are repetitive are less holy and have no place in the church. Um, there's repetitive songs in the Psalms over and over again, same phrase, same word. Isaac Watts, the writer of Joy to the World, he says, repeat the sounding joy, repeat the sounding joy, repeat, repeat the sound. We can be repetitive because it stirs our heart with an affection for Christ. Again, Charles Spurgeon, I, I, I won't refer to him as the ultimate authority on this, but here's what he says about repetition. He says, all repetitions are not vain repetitions. Some are, but not all. In sacred songs, there should be graceful repeats. They render the sense of emphatic, and they help to fire the soul. When we repeat the glories of God in the coming of Christ and what Christ has done for us and what Christ will do for us when he comes again, when we repeat some of these truths, they begin to soften our heart and dead hearts to, to feel what we believe. I mean, the gospel, the truth of who God is needs to move from our head into our hearts. We need to feel it. And then once we've felt it, we can proclaim it loudly and with joy. So that's just a side note on the repetitive piece. Please don't ever say that rep repetition in music is wrong. Sometimes it may be. It may be pointless. La, 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 la. Do that too much and you're missing some substance. But there's a time and a place for it. Lastly, who sings? So why do we sing? Because of who God is, what God has done, what God is doing, what God will do. How do we sing? With joy, with volume, and with instruments. The last one, who sings? We're going to dig more into this next week as we look at verse 3, which says, far as the curse is found. 
So next Sunday, we're going we're gonna to dig deeper into these points, but I want to touch on them here today. Who is to sing? The redeemed peoples of the earth and the earth itself. Look at verse 7 through 9. Let the sea roar and all that fills it, the world and those who dwell in it. Let the rivers clap their hands. Let the hills sing for joy before the Lord, for he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world with righteousness and the peoples with equity. Two, two things that I think we see here in the psalm, two, two objects that sing. The first one is the eager creation of the earth. Creation, created matter, the earth cries out to the glories of God. Psalm 19 says, the heavens proclaim the handiwork of God. Right here, verse 7, let the seas and all that fill them, the world and those who dwell in it, let the rivers clap their hands, let the hills sing for joy. So when Isaac Watts writes in joy to the world, let fields and floods, rocks, hills, trees, plains, repeat the sounding joy, is he crazy? No, he's not crazy. Look at it. It's right here in the psalm. The earth cries out the glories of God. When you stand by a river and you hear the beautiful sound of a flowing river into a lake or an ocean, why is it making that sound? Sure, physics will tell us that it's gravitational pull that it's running down into the ocean or into the, into the lake that the river pours into. But what's behind physics? Do we have a God? Thank you. God. We have a God who created the earth and all that is in it for his glory and for our understanding of his beauty. And so when we hear that river rushing, when we hear that river clapping its hands, this is poetic literature here. It's not literal. I mean, it's literally true that God created the world and that the world cries out his glories. But the river doesn't actually have hands, but as you stand by the river and you hear it flowing, it sounds like the clapping of hands. What's behind the physics? God is behind the physics. He created the world. He created gravitational pull so that we would stay centered, so that my feet would stay on the ground and I wouldn't float as I preach. So we understand the facts of why the river flows into the sea. But what's behind the fact? The truth that God reigns. And that creation cries out his praise and his glory and his honor. Let's look at Luke 19 on page 879. See what Jesus has to say about this. So this is, again, David prophesying. He's saying that, that the earth now cries out to the glory of God, but it will cry out even more once Christ comes, and then even more once Christ comes a second time. And so let's look at what Jesus has to say about this. Luke 19, verse 36. This is the triumphal entry the week before, before Easter. Jesus comes into town on a donkey and he's praised. Verse 36. And as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. As he was drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works they had seen. Why do we sing? Because of who God is and what he's done. Verse 38, saying, Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees, the religious leaders who didn't get it, 
in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. And he said, I tell you, if they were silent, the very stones would cry out. Creation, the very earth that we stand on is waiting and crying out. It has an eager expectation for the day of redemption. As Adam and Eve sinned, God put a curse on mankind and the earth. And so the world is groaning. It's longing for Jesus to come again and make all things new. And Jesus says that if people wouldn't cry out, even the very earth would cry out. And look at Romans chapter 8. And we'll, again, we'll pick this up more next week, but I have to cover a portion of this to set us up. Romans chapter 8, verse 18 through 25. That's on page 944. So Jesus came and said, even the rocks would cry out. And now Paul the apostle writes this. Romans 8, starting in verse 18. For I consider that the suffering of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. That the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to decay and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. Creation is underneath a curse. It's underneath the bondage of decay, and even creation now is crying out, waiting. They, they see that Christ came, that Christ is beginning to set into motion, all things being restored, all things being made new, and creation is crying out. The rivers are clapping their hands. The seas are roaring. The stars are proclaiming that when the Son, Jesus Christ, comes once and for all, all things will be made new and set right. Even creation cries out in praise for God the Father. Who sings? The creation. Again, Charles Spurgeon says, the rule of Christ is the joy of nature. Created matter is waiting for the perfect reign and rule of Christ. Right now, we live in the already not yet. Christ is reigning and ruling in our hearts and our lives in the world. His kingdom is growing around the world. But he will come and establish his kingdom forever. And creation is crying out for that day. The second thing, who sings? So the eager creation of the earth sings. And then lastly, the righteous peoples of the earth sing. Back to Psalm 98. Verse 9, before the Lord. um, so, So nature, creation is singing out before the Lord. For he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world with righteousness. And the people's with equity. So who sings? The righteous peoples of the earth. And yes, there's an S on the end of peoples because it means all people groups. The peoples of the world cry out in praise and worship of the Lord. And it's the righteous people. Those who have been made new by Christ, those who have received the righteousness of Jesus imputed to us. The world sings... Many people in our culture sing these songs this season. But when the righteous, the redeemed, the sons and daughters of God sing out, we should sing out with a new power, with a new joy. Because he has made us righteous. So when he comes to judge, if you're in Christ and considered righteous by a holy God, he looks at you and he sees Jesus' righteousness imputed to you, you can sing because you're covered. Your judgment will be 
Well done, my good and faithful son or daughter, my servant. But if you're not in Christ, the judgment is far different. It's not well done, my faithful. It's out of my presence, for I never knew you. And so we as redeemed people can sing with joy because we have hope that when Jesus comes again, we will be judged as righteous. He will judge the peoples of the earth with equity. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21 says that he who knew no sin, Jesus, became sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God. So if you're in Christ, eagerly await the second coming of Christ because you will be declared righteous. Your judgment is that of the righteous. So we sing to that end Let's close out with Revelation chapter 9. This is on page 1032 in the Pew Bible. Why do we sing? Because of who God is, the holy, righteous, just judge. And we sing because of what he's done. He's worked on our behalf. He sent his son We sing because of what he's doing. He's redeeming us. He's making us new. He's providing for us in a myriad of different ways. And we sing because of what he will do, sending his son a second time to renew all things forever. How do we sing? With joy, with volume, with instruments. Who sings? The earth and all of creation. The angels. And as we go through Christmas season, song and song talks about the angels proclaiming the glories of the Lord. Glory to God in the highest. And then the redeemed people of the earth. We all join in a massive, diverse choir of people praising God the Father. Revelation 7, 9 through 12. After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude, multitude that no one could number from every nation from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God, saying, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Let's sing like we mean it. Because God meant it when he sent his one and only son, Jesus, to live the perfect life that we can't. Die the sacrificial death, the death of sin that we should have. And he overcame sin and death in the grave. God meant it when he worked on our behalf. So let's sing with joy, let's sing with volume, and let's sing with instruments. Let's pray. God, we thank you for who you are, that you are the holy, the righteous one, the one who holds all things together. Psalm 24.1 says that the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, and we believe that you have created all things seen and unseen, and we believe that you have a good and a perfect plan to redeem all things in Jesus Christ. And so we submit ourselves to you, Jesus, and we pray that you would fill our hearts with affection for you. 
We praise you for who you are, for what you've done, what you're doing, and what you're yet to do because we know that your promises always come true. So I pray now that you would fill our singing with thoughts of joy, with hearts of joy. For you are righteous and just, and we can trust in you forever. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.